Welcome back to the Our Wisconsin Revolution podcast. I am here this week with Will, um, two days off of election day. Um, how are you doing this morning, Will? I am so excited that it's finally over. We have put a lot of time and effort and not just us, you know, organizers across the state of Wisconsin. This was, we touched on it numerous times. This was the quite arguably the most important race in Wisconsin history. And uh, you don't want to have any regrets. Regrets, one of the worst feelings in existence. You want to make sure you did everything you could. And uh, I think we did. Our, our Wisconsin revolution was at the forefront of a lot of, a lot of the uh, work that went into this race. Absolutely. Um, and Will and I are honored to be joined today by Harvey K, who is a professor emeritus of democracy and justice uh, studies from UW Green Bay a uh, member of the Retirees Council of the American Federation of Teachers, the author and editor of 18 books, most recently um, Thomas Paine and the Promise of America, the fight for uh, the four freedoms, what made FDR and the greatest generation truly great, FDR and democracy, and take hold of our history, make America radical again. Harvey, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. This is great. I mean, I just met... Uh... You go by Will or William, actually. Either or. As long as you don't call me Bill. As long okay. as it's got a W, I don't care what, what okay. it is. You can call me Willie for all I, call for you all I care. I could call you a political wonk or something like that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> fine. It's all like the W, man. I just look for the W. But in any case, let me just say that I met I met Will recently at the Wisconsin Grassroots Network Festival. I thought I had met Anders before. But apparently I had not. So this is very nice. And for those of you who can only hear this, um, we are actually looking at each other by way of Zoom. And I, But I have to tell you, I'm kind of blinded right now because these two Wisconsin Revolution guys are shining so brightly with pride in what was accomplished on Tuesday that I'm blinded by the light. Let me just say that. Well, I got to tell you, I, I had a personal relative to this very small scale win yesterday too we went to the appleton city council and our downtown is going from four lanes of traffic to um two lanes a turn lane and bike lanes so it's been like political win after win this week for some for some reason i've gotten awful good luck lately um or awful luck good, or i hope it's are not waking awful up. good luck awful good yeah. luck. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah so Quickly before we before we get into to a discussion of you know what is next in Wisconsin and what is next for the progressive movement, um, a little bit of discussion about what happened on Tuesday. As um, everybody listening to this probably already knows, uh, Janet Protasiewicz, uh beat Daniel Kelly for the uh, seat on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. Um, she didn't just beat him; points. she slaughtered him. Yeah. Slaughtered that was a- him. Right. 11 that, points that, in a that was election. beautiful. Was it was, beautiful. It, it was an 11 point win in a state where almost every election comes down to a tiny, tiny amount of votes. Um, she won For some context, right. we considered the Evers win to be a Wisconsin landslide at six points. Right, right. And not only that, but she outright won Brown County, Outagamie County, and Winnebago County on the Fox Valley. Um, and she won a number of counties, including 
um, Eau Claire County and Dunn County out in western Wisconsin, as long as, as well as a, as a few other counties out in that CD3 area. Um, so basically, this election became a referendum on abortion in a way um, and a referendum on fair maps in a way. And clearly, uh, the the vast majority of people in the state uh, fall on on, you know, the fair maps and legalizing abortion side of that argument. I mean, but we've known that polling has shown that for years and years and years. I mean, uh, it. I believe some type of access to safe and healthy abortion is polls at about 70 percent throughout the state. Um, fair maps has passed at the have passed at the county level in like, what, 50 something counties throughout the state. Like these are issues that are not just, quote unquote, popular or not just supported by the majority. These issues have universal support across the state, across all demographics. A hundred percent. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I want to add to that, okay? I want to put this into context. This is, the, the situation we find ourselves in, we should never forget, is a consequence, it's a consequence, A, of what transpired in the election of 2010 and the struggles of 2011 and the failure of the Democratic Party in 2011. Okay, let's be clear. And before that, the failures over and over again of the Democratic Party to take the progressive sensibilities and instincts and aspirations of the citizens of this state seriously. Now, let me make it clear. I happen to be a member of the Democratic Party, but I... I hate identifying with the party as it currently prevails mm -hmm. because over and over again, because this will come up as we talk over and over again, they did the Republican style decision making. OK, and and we, that we don't need to go into, but it's important for people to realize how inadequate the Democrats have been and that this time, this time they were handed an opportunity that if they had blown it, it was all over. OK, I mean, when and don't forget, if most of the people turning out, young people especially, are voting to secure a woman's right to choose, that's to secure a lost right. It's not to advance new rights. That's just important. getting back to where we were. Yeah, right. Yes. And I would add to that the fact that and we'll get to this later. I'm sorry to interrupt you guys, but we'll get to this later. The imperative that people not forget another set of lost rights were the rights of public employees to bargain collectively, and also then the capacity that the Republicans exercised of turning this state into a right to work state. We have become the Mississippi of the North in many ways, okay? And it's in good part because the Republicans had strategy and vision and audacity, and the Democrats need to get a vision, a strategy, audacity, and a hell of a lot more solidarity. Absolutely. And really quickly, before before we go into some of these broader impacts of the Supreme Court race, I did want to touch on, you know, OWR did endorse a number of local progressives, including three uh, students from UW-Madison. Um, so I just wanted to give some quick shout outs to our candidates um, that had results come in on Tuesday. Um, so in Madison... Um, MGR and Juliana Bennett both won um, as students uh, to represent Madison on their common council. 
um, Maxwell Lobenstein came this close to beating Michael Verveer, a longtime incumbent who is very, very close with the real estate lobby in Madison. Um, additionally, uh, Michelle Ellinger, Lindley, and Sam Harshner were two OWR endorsed candidates that truly ran excellent campaigns um, and came up short. Uh, other Madison candidates that won, Yannick Figuera, uh, Figuera Cole, uh, Nikki Conklin, uh, John Duncan all got elected to Madison City Council after being endorsed by OWR. Additionally, Tom Nelson was reelected as the Outagamie County Executive. And Missy Zomber is going to be holding the at-large school board seat in Milwaukee. If you were keeping tallies when I was listing all of those races, that's seven for ten right there on progressive independent candidates um, representing Wisconsinites now after this election. So um at the high level things looked good at the more detailed level things look even better uh wisconsin politics is shifting it it really is and and harvey you already said this it really is kind of a referendum on a lot of that 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 2010 2011 shift that scott walker created um and people kind of standing up and saying yeah this we tried this it does not work um for us so that all being said, uh, you know, now the Wisconsin Supreme Court balance has 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 shifted. Um, and, you know, there's already been talk from Attorney General Call um, and others that there is going to very quickly be an abortion, uh, a challenge, to the 1849 Wisconsin abortion ban. But um, I guess, Harvey, when you when you see the the. Um, results of this election and such a convincing win uh for you know progressive values by a margin statewide that we haven't seen in a long time um what does that indicate about what's coming in the next few years in wisconsin politics okay well the first thing to remember is this and this is really crucial so we now have the supreme court which means things that arrive at the court level will not die the reactionary death okay but it's also the case that looking ahead, we cannot depend on the court as the basis to build democracy. Exactly. That's not the way you do it. Okay. So, so I was elated on Tuesday night. I actually was particularly elated. I think I was mentioning this before that here in Brown County, where Green Bay is a democratic city, I, 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 it, pisses me off, excuse the language, pisses me off when people think of Northeast Wisconsin as conservative, okay? that That's, it's a sign they don't know their history. City of, Wisconsin, of Green Bay is a democratic city. Unfortunately, we have a nonpartisan mayoral, you know, mayoral T, but it is a democratic city. The other thing, to, but the other thing is that undeniably Brown County at large has been fairly, yeah, it's Republican, okay? Because you leave the city of Green Bay and Move, and you move into sort of you know the upper middle class suburbs, and then you move out into the out into the farms. But it is the case that she won in Brown County, as you noted, and this entire the the valley basically went all to the, the way left, from Green Bay to, to the left, all the way. Yeah, phenomenal, right? I mean, just phenomenal. Okay, so that list that that's important to realize. But the thing is, we're still we're st we're still in trouble legislatively. I mean. In fact, we may be worse off legislatively because the 8th Senate District 
stay with the, you know, it's it's Republican. Basically. They secured the supermajority. Yeah. They secured the supermajority. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you guys. I want to make sure that I'm right. I'm here. I am asking, you know, young folks when I, sh- I should know this answer. <laughs> so if they try to impeach Janet and succeed, then it reverts to the governor to choose. Correct. Correct. But does his nominate, does his selection then have to go back to the legislature for approval? That is a great question. Uh, In which case we could end up with a three, three. Right. So my, so what I would say is right now, if people have, is there a lawsuit ready to go on the, on the right to choose question? My understanding is there is. Good. Uh, Um, and uh, I'm I'm looking this up right now, but uh, <laughs> I had I've, seen earlier this week that Josh Call's office is already looking into this, and there is an abortion case that's being heard coming up within the next month or so in Dane County. Okay, and she yes. will take her seat. What? When will she take her seat on the court? Uh, August first. Huh. Justice okay. Rogan Sachs' last day is. July 31st. Okay. So will will she be in attendance when this is heard if it's moving? So my guess is they would hold off on it. I right. I did uh, I was at a Zoom last night actually with Doug Poland who is speaking uh on next steps from a legal perspective um as part of the yeah. Fair Maps coalition and he noted that there is a lawsuit that he is working on or is uh at least supporting that is already making its way through Dane County and that it's right. they're trying to line up the timing to, to kind that of the coincide abortion with the question Supreme or the Court. fair maps question? Abortion. Abortion. Because because then we'll move quickly. The, the fair maps question is an is equally urgent. I would argue more I would argue even more so because I think that, you know, if if we had fair maps, the abortion question wouldn't even be left to a court. Yeah, and, and, to, and, to what right. you were alluding to earlier. I mean, it's the issue that we had federally that we got Roe versus Wade in the seventies, and then the Democrats decided that that was that felt yeah. safe enough for them um, to not need to legislate around abortion. When yeah. you know, it, I would I would argue if anything is not explicit in the Constitution, somebody can find an argument to immediately undo what somebody has done. Um, So that inability to codify that legislatively, I think also points to the reason why the Fair Maps court case is gonna be so important. Because if we get the Fair Maps court case, we probably end up with legalized abortion anyway, along with, you know, repealing right to work, um, you know, more shared revenue with local municipalities, yeah. um, you know, all you got, you can only imagine where you right there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, good, good a couple of things too. Um, Harvey, you touched on, you know, the 2010, 2011 swing in Wisconsin and something I've seen significant coverage of from a lot of, uh, people who work within the political system of Wisconsin is that this was this, the, kind of the end, the last episode, the season finale, if you will, of the Walker regime, right? This was a a complete and total rejection of the movement that Walker initiated in 2010, 2011, that kind of coincided with a lot of the Tea Tea Party movement, particularly at the national level. And you also noted the Democrats and the role that they played in the overturning of Roe v. Wade. 
I have to tell this story, and I think I told this to you, Harvey, in person. The day after Roe v. Wade was overturned was the Wisconsin Democratic Convention last summer, right? So I canceled my reservations on Friday night. I went down to Milwaukee and marched, and it was essentially only young people. There were, you know, it wasn't 100%, but the majority of the people protesting were young people and young women. And when this, when it was time for speakers, not a single one of the people who spoke mentioned the role the Republican Party played in this. Why? Because young people are intuitive. They understand the role that, that Republicans played in this. We all know that. You don't have to say it. You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. What they did mention was the Democrats having the opportunity in 2008 and 2009 to codify uh, protect protections for abortion. And they Obama chose not to first day. Obama because it was first day. He said he would do it. They chose not to. In my opinion, that's because of the sweet, sweet fundraising uh, opportunities it presented. You can constantly hold that over the head of your donors. Look, you need to give us more money so we can protect this. If we, if you don't, you know, the Republicans might come for it. And they just couldn't pass up on that gravy train. So they didn't take the opportunity to do anything about it. And it's very on brand, I think, for the Democrats then uh, to have been having our convention that weekend where we were celebrating all the good work that we're doing and patting each other on the back and all that. And I kind of pointed out when I came up early Saturday morning, then how gross it was and how, again, on brand it was for the Democrats. Now it's purely coincidence that the convention happened to be scheduled that weekend. I'm not faulting people for going or anything. It's just perfectly encapsulates a lot of what people see as wrong with the democratic party, the democratic establishment in particular. Look, Let's let's quickly recount the ways in which the Democrats have failed. So, for example, 2009, 2010, the Obama administration repeatedly failed to make use of the fact that they had a filibuster-proof Senate. Now, one could argue maybe one or two of them would have dissented from things. But, you know, the lesson of that would be choose your presidents in terms of their ability to twist arms when push comes to shove or to or literally look we we live in a terribly corrupt political system learn how to use federal largesse to win over votes if you have to i mean it's it's just crazy it's absolutely crazy for example he said he would march obama when workers were out on strike of course he wasn't going to show up on picket lines but obama never came to Wisconsin when we occupied the Capitol, never sent anyone from his administration, didn't even send Michelle Obama to the state to support our occupation, which, by the way, should never be compared to January 6th. We occupied the people's house in this state. We did it peacefully. Nobody got hurt, to my recollection. And in fact, uh, I think we left it cleaner than when we got there. <laughs> <laughs> As teachers tend to do, right? <laughs> As students Maybe two, although that, that sounds wild to even even think of that. And by the way, that that was the I will say the occupation of the Capitol was probably the high point of my political life, even though we ended up losing ultimately in the recall election. Having said that, I mean, over and over again, the Obama administration failed. They they even Obamacare, as great a success as it has been for people with pre-existing conditions and a host of other folks, the fact is that it was utterly inadequate as a means to pursue the goal of universal health care. And he didn't even allow for the public option. In fact, too many public 
states opted out of all of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's just embarrassing what the Democrats at the federal level have too often been about. Not to mention we have a president now who, in running for president, actually said he would veto Medicare for all. I mean, you know, it's just outrageous. Okay, so having said that. And, and all yeah. the, you know, the left, even the left end of the Democratic Party has already gotten lined up behind him. Yeah, talk about absurd, care. right? Right, the so-called progressive caucus. Thank you very much. Exactly. Okay, I mean, that's why, and I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll hype you guys a bit. That's why our Wisconsin revolution, that is not only filled with young people, it's got older folks too, needs to stay active. Don't let the victory lead you to believe this. I'm talking not to you two guys, but to the world at large as well. Don't let the victory on Tuesday to believe, hey, things are going to be good now. They're not. The legislature is still literally controlled, you know, seriously controlled by the Republicans. Democrats cannot even put forward a bill that the majority of Wisconsinites would, would, would welcome. Okay. And I'll come back to what I mean by that. I mean, it's just, we're, we are facing the same nightmare, but with one thing that at least the rights lost have a chance of being restored by Janet's presence on the state Supreme Court. It doesn't change the electoral picture until we make the electoral picture a different picture. Okay. Now, here's a, this is an interesting thing about Wisconsin. This is why I want to put it in a historical perspective. I assume most OWR folks know this, but it's really important to realize that this is historically a progressive state. And I don't just mean capital P for the, I mean, capital P R O G R E S S I V E. This very rich history of progressivism, very rich history. I mean, Robert La Follette senior, Robert La Follette junior were were major voices in whatever would be the progressive politics of the early 20th century and right through the 1930s. The state motto was literally forward. Absolutely. Yeah. It's quite literally forward. forward. Right. Okay. But and here's something else that I want people to realize, and this is a knock at the Democrats, admittedly, but it's important to realize. The progressive movement in Wisconsin came out of the Republican Party. La Follette was a Republican. In fact, for many years, I believe they were actually often referred to as the progressive Republicans. Okay, let that be remembered. In the 1930s, especially around 1935, 36, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, the greatest capital D Democratic president in American history, actually turned his back on the Wisconsin Democratic Party to support the La Follette progressives in this state. And and moreover, the three key senators, three key senators, not alone important, but three key senators during in making the New Deal what it became were Robert Wagner of New York, who was a Democrat, Okay, probably the chief pilot, as it was known, of the New Deal in in the Senate and and Congress generally to to George Norris of Nebraska, who was a progressive Republican. And third, third here in this state, Bob LaFollette Jr. Okay, a progressive, you know, the Republican should probably stay in parenthesis, having said that. So this is so 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 the Democratic Party has not always had a magnificent you know place in Wisconsin history, but it is the case that coming out of World War II, with 
the Democrats seem to start, to, they seem to start to understand the progressive nature of the state and they were going to act upon it. Now, let's also not forget that this is the state that had socialist mayors of Milwaukee for a good part of the 20th century. This is a state that, that's why Dan Kaufman called his book, what was it called? The Fall of Wisconsin or something to that effect. Okay. You know, so what well, we have to remember also the North and Western part of the state had, was it Obi, the, who was a, progressive Democrat in Congress all those years. And everything got turned around. Why? In good part, because the Democrats at the national level were failing to failing, turning their backs on the FDR tradition. And in this state, the Democrats just literally had, you know, had given up the the ghost of FDR, it often seemed. Look, as for 20 years I was trying to get, and I won't name names, various legislators, okay, in this state. To, and I would say to them, you know, something I don't understand. When you're out of power, don't you think it's a good time to go big? Don't you think it's a good time to cultivate a story and a vision and build the agenda in, and let, let that vision express the agenda? Don't run simply on an agenda because most people, for a start, we don't have good, we do not have a good state media in the sense that. We are a state divided. Well, there's Madison, there's the Fox Valley, there's Milwaukee. I mean, it's tough to figure out what's going on around the state. So as a consequence, it's imperative for the Democrats not only to walk into the legislature, legislature with an agenda, which if they're out of power, they're not going to be able to do anything about. It's important for them to raise their voices and let people know what they're about. Let me give you an example. This goes back some years, and I can't even remember the year it was, but there was a big question about instituting some model of, of sort of statewide health care. Um, and there was a Friday evening show, I guess it's still uh, still on, was it called Here and Now on public uh, television. Mm -hmm. And the there was, I guess it was the leader of the Republican Party in the either the Senate or the, or the Assembly, and another fellow who I think was in the state's Senate from the Democratic Party, both of them, you know, significant figures in the legislative uh, caucuses. And the question was health care. And the Democrat was brilliant in laying out the details. But I could bet that after so many minutes of the details, people were starting to go to the refrigerator. OK, there, you know, you can't you can't just watch a guy talking head laying out the details without sort of losing it a bit. The Republican, when the host turned to him, said, well, what would you say in response to all of that? And he said, I think it's important for, that we allow the market to work its magic. And I can bet you people walked away. I remember that line. I don't remember any of the details at all. And I believe in universal health care. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I remember saying this to, to, to my state senator who I was a good friend with. And I would tell him, you have got to start advancing in this state, especially when you're out of power, an economic bill of rights for Wisconsinites. Okay. Look, you ask people, do they want health care? Do they want it for all, all, you know, nowadays I call it Medicare for all, not a good way of presuming. I do not believe we should be promoting the idea of Medicare for all. Call it universal health care. Because too many people will tell you, first of all, that Medicare is kind of a pain in the ass to work with. And second of all, because the Biden administration is apparently privatizing good a good number of elements of Medicare. So, so let's not Medicare fight, DCE. But, yeah. So the direct so contract. Let's entities. start talking. We you know, you ask people, do you believe in, in health care for all? And they'll say yes. 
Okay. Do they believe that public higher education should be not just affordable, but should be available to all the young people, or for that matter, middle-aged and older folks in Wisconsin? Yes. Once upon a time, the state had a strongly funded university system. That's no longer the case. Okay. When I came to Wisconsin back in 78, this was a fun, this was the best higher education system in the country. It no longer is. Okay. Things have just gone. So, okay. We could just go down the list. People believe in all of the elements that would go into the making of an economic bill of rights. And I was pushing this as hard as I could. Well, fortunately, and I want to jump ahead and I want to go back again. Okay. You've got two, two representatives who were I guess freshman representatives, you know, the last few years, uh, Christina Shelton, Shelton, Christina Shelton, who I, to be open about, is is a very dear friend of mine. Okay, representing this uh, the 90th here in Northeast Wisconsin, and Francesca Hong down in the Madison area. Now these two young women may be hearing, especially in Christina's case, me bellyache about the Democrats being dullards when it comes to pursuing what Democrats and others. By the way, you don't have to be a Democrat to want all the things that I mentioned, FDR found out in 1944 and in 43 that 85% of Americans, regardless of their political affiliation, wanted national health care. Boom. They wanted guaranteed health care. Okay. And there were many other similar things that went into the mix. And that's what led him to call in 1944 for an economic bill of rights for all Americans. Well, if people paid attention to their fellow citizens, they would have figured out that, in fact, that's exactly what people have for decades wanted here in this state and elsewhere. Okay. So they've, they've introduced this Wisconsin Economic Justice Bill of Rights. But it, of course, the Republicans aren't going to put it on the legislative, you know, on the docket. It's just not going to get there. But where are the where's the Democratic Party itself right now? Why aren't they talking about what they want to do for Wisconsin that we know Wisconsinites want? Okay. Take that bold vision now. Exactly like you said, you you are Republicans have a near supermajority in the assembly. They're only two seats shy. They have a supermajority in the Senate. Be bold, be different. If you continue with the status quo, you're not going to see changes. And if they sit around relying on, well, the maps will change and then we'll start winning, like that's not going to work. You're right. That's right. not going to work. Right. And and not, don't just endorse it. I mean, by the way, so I've been pushing this with Alan Minsky of Progressive Democrats of America. The Side uh, note, we will we will have an episode dedicated to that. Okay, I want everybody well, to so know that. Know, the Massachusetts Democratic Party and convention last summer endorsed the idea of an economic bill of rights. OK, there are there's a, there's one or more legislators up in New Hampshire who are now talking about picking up this idea in West Virginia, I'm going to repeat this when we come back for that show, but in West Virginia, there is a progressive caucus in the West Virginia Democratic Party that once again wants to turn West Virginia blue, and they want to do it progressively so. And I believe in the last go-round in electing their executive council that the progressives may well have taken charge. They are talking to us about how to translate that into West Virginia terms. So this is an alive... So the Democrats in Wisconsin who have two legislators, two young, brilliant legislators advancing this. The two young, brilliant, very popular legislators. These aren't just somebody who stepped in all of the, out of the blue and said, hey, guys, let's try to switch things up. Like Christina and Francesca are both very popular, as they should be, because they do a great job and they know what they're talking about. Right. In fact, I want to say that I would love to see, and this is my pitch to you before we go on with this, is I'd love to see our Wisconsin Revolution pick this up and put it high 
on its lobbying agenda and its mobilizing agenda. An economic bill of rights for all Wisconsinites. By the way, that rhymes, doesn't it? It does. Economic bill of rights, all Wisconsinites. Yeah, we can make that into a chant. Yeah, you bet. I'd like to see an occupation of the Capitol again. An economic bill of rights for all Wisconsinites. I sound silly, but nevertheless, I'd love to see it. Okay, so what I'm getting now, let me back off the specifics of that and say this. We know how divided Americans are. And we know, even in the state, we, we know how divided Wisconsinites are. I mean, what happened in the 8th Senate District tells us that that divide still exists. Okay. And by the way, never should anyone ask, why do people vote against their own interests? They don't vote against their own interests. If one, if the party that should represent their interests doesn't represent their interests, they're going to punish that party by voting for the other party. Okay. Uh, America, a lot of times, I think the vast majority of Americans vote on who do I hate less rather than who do I actively support? Oh, absolutely. Uh, My students would often say, how do I choose a candidate? I tell them vote defensively in the, in the final, in the general elections, if worse comes to worse, you have to vote defensively in the primaries. You get to vote for a candidate you want. That's a great way to phrase it. I have talked about primaries being more important than the general for years because it's the only way you can actively tell, you know, so many people just vote down ballot anyways. So once you get to the general, it's just going to be, you know, who's the lesser of two evils. The primary is where you can step up and say, look, these ideas are important to me. This is what I want to see going forward. Please implement that. It's just, it's it's difficult to be able to get through that. So here's the thing. See, if if working people in Wisconsin are presented with a story that makes sense, a vision that seems possible, and an agenda that would make that vision possible, that's the way in which you break the hold of the right-wingers on too many imaginations. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's first. You know, there's, a, there's another thing which we should take up sometime, maybe privately, is the question if there should be if there should be actually public service for young people, okay? Because just to give you a a historical sidebar, this will take us into, the way in which Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal worked is not simply because people were desperate and needed the initiatives, is that they demanded action themselves. And FDR was able to harness that demand, those aspirations, and translate it into serious programs and empowerments. Now, it's the case that Americans were utterly divided in the 30s, okay, along race, along religion. I mean, you know, Protestants hated Catholics. Protestants and Catholics together hated Jews, okay? Blacks hated whites. Sorry, whites hated blacks, and blacks probably returned the favor. I mean, the fact is the divisions in the 30s were ugly and stark but by if you mobilize people around a, a, an initiative around a program around a vision that they share you begin to cultivate solidarities so in this state okay the democrats need to to, to speak on economic grounds to all wisconsinites as a way of mobilizing their shared interests now it may mean honestly it may mean that and I would say this, if you're going to try to win elections, you run on economics, okay? That's first and foremost. I know the issues that were involved in this in the Supreme Court race. 
But if you're going to try to appeal across the, the various divides, the best way to go is the place where all working people will go around economic issues. So my argument is that, again, to that question of an economic bill of rights becomes, it's got a story going back to the 30s and the 40s with FDR, sustained by the likes of A. Philip Randolph, the great labor and civil rights leader, head of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, advanced again in the in the 1960s by A. Philip Randolph and Martin Luther King Jr., brought back into the public debate for a brief while, at least by Bernie Sanders in both 2015 and 16, and then again in 2019-20. This state could once again become, if we can propel the Democrats, force the Democrats, compel them, if you to, to remember what the state of Wisconsin historically has been and what the state of, of Wisconsin can become once again. Not simply a state rescued from the oblivion of the right, but actually a leader in progressive politics. And, and by the way, look, I grew up in the New York area, but I've been in this state of Wisconsin for 45 years now, which is far more than half of my life, okay? And I can tell you that when I came to the state, there were still those pro those progressive instincts prevailed then and they prevail now. Then they prevailed in a, in a more conscious way. Even, even the likes of Tommy Thompson, when he was running for governor, and he had to speak in a way that at least resonated with the idea of progressive Wisconsin. The Republicans have now gone over to, to, use, to the dark side, you might say. I mean, they are lost. Okay, and the best we can do is is consign them to the dustbin of history. But the only way we can do that is for groups like our Wisconsin, the smaller efforts, perhaps by an organization I belong to for many years. I don't, I haven't paid dues in some time. Is DSA? Um, there are these groups out there. A coalition would be important. Somehow or other, we have got to create a coalition that will pursue an agenda that will speak to Wisconsin working people. Okay, men, women, trans, all the way across. We all need to work. We all need to, to make a living. We all need to provide for ourselves and for our children. I mean, that's the way to go. So that's my general argument. It's got to be an, a seemingly economic or socioeconomic agenda. We have to pursue it quickly. We have to make sure that Christina and Francesca hear that we're behind them solidly. We have to find out what they want to do about getting the caucus in how in the Senate and in the, the assembly to embrace this idea and then to go into a Wisconsin Democratic Convention and make sure that the party embraces the vision of the economic agenda and more importantly, the economic bill of rights that working people need. Well, I think that, you know, something that DSA does an incredible, incredible job of is they have people who participate are passionate and they're active. And that's something, you know, I'd rather have 10 dedicated, passionate individuals that want to see true structural change than a thousand people who are just kind of happy to throw a couple of bucks at you now and then, but they're busy, they're doing their own thing, whatever. You talk about the convention in particular, the, uh, the Wisconsin Democratic Convention. If you are able to get a whole boatload of young people that uh, are elected as delegates, to the convention, you show up in force, you make your voice heard. That's where you can begin to change things. I think, you know, Wisconsinites, we have that, uh, the kind of, we're stereotypically really, really nice, right? The Midwestern nice, the Wisconsin nice type. And I like to think of that as being an extension of empathy, right? You're treating people well 
because you can see life through their shoes. You understand that it might be a difficult time. You're showing up at a Packers game and you don't have food. Well, that sucks. So come here. Come have a brat and a beer with me, right? <laughs> uh, that goes across all demographics. That's not just, you know, Wisconsin progressives that have this, uh, that are thought of in that regard. Uh, that's that's Wisconsinites in general. So I think if we're able to kind of harness that empathetic nature of the people and relate that back to progressive policies in that a lot of our policies are designed to benefit everyone, to make everyone's life better. It's a way you can shift the narrative away from what the Republicans have done a really good job of, which is just, you know, anything that's hurting you is socialism. Anything you don't understand is socialism, yada, 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 rather than we're trying to improve the material conditions of everyone's life uh, by sharing the wealth, if you will. Yeah. And also, and, and part of that, I'll give you a couple of things that are sort of just practical. First of all, never, I said before, don't write off your fellow citizens. I would go further than that. Don't assume you know any better than they know. Okay. The, tr- the, 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 the trick in politics is you don't speak to your fellow citizens. You try not even to sound like you're speaking for your fellow citizens. You speak with with them, your fellow citizens. And to the extent that you can turn with into the articulation of the majority's aspirations, the more powerful you will become. And power is a damn good term never to forget. Okay. The other thing is, and this is a piece of advice that I'm really serious about. I take a lot of heat all too often because of my criticisms of people on the left who don't appreciate it, is... Problem is not America. The problem is those who have too much of America. Okay. When Bernie pointed a finger at the billionaires, Americans understood what he meant. He may not have gone far enough in embracing the American story, Bernie. That's to my that's my criticism of him. Okay. There is from the time of the American Revolution, and there's a promise that whether people want to knock the, the, the founders or not, I don't care what they want to do to the founders particularly, though it, we shouldn't be stupid about it. The fact is that there is a promise that exists since the time of the revolution, having to do with equality and the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. And that promise has motivated every significant progressive movement in American history. It motivated religious freedom. It motivated abolitionists. And it motivated the slaves who ran from the plantation during the Civil War to enlist themselves in the Union cause. It motivated the feminists, that is the women's suffrage movement. It motivated socialists. It motivated populists. It motivated anarchists over and over again. They They didn't deny that promise. They embraced it and demanded action on it. Okay, so I want to make it clear. I I have confidence that our Wisconsin revolution is not going to fail on those terms. We really must not get caught out by the right that has hijacked American history all too long, ever since Ronald Reagan. I got into this into this kind of cause of mine in good part because I saw the right hijacking the American past and the left stood by and the liberals ignored it over and over again. We have to reclaim the past in order to take back America. We have to reclaim Wisconsin's past in order to take back Wisconsin. That's a good uh, catchphrase right there. Reclaim the past so you can reshape the future. Something along those lines. Reshape I like that. Future. I mean, this is really, I mean, this is what I'm all about, frankly, and we can do that on another occasion if you'd like, but <laughs> it is the case. Um, 
I think there is, I'm going to tell you something. I wrote a piece. I used to write a lot for the Bill Moyers uh, show and um, website. I wrote a piece. I wrote a couple of pieces. First of all, give you examples. I'll use the, the best one. There is, I did this on Wisconsin Public Radio, in fact. There is a progressive version of American exceptionalism. American exceptionalism, whether it's argued by the, you know, the right or the left is generally an evil. Okay, we, we want to reject the, the version of the right, and the left generally just echoes that. What we have to, or utterly craps on the idea. What we have to remember is that what really is extraordinary is this. We have the most unparalleled history of radical and progressive movements. Of I mean, it, over and over again, in good part because there is that promise that is so powerful that motivates people to understand that America can be far more, far better, far more equal, far more free, and far more democratic than it has been. Here's the other thing, though. I'm going to drop this in here. Again, if you want to talk about this sometime, I'm happy to do it. Ask people who the three greatest presidents in American history were. And whether they have affection for these people or not, they will tell you, out on the street, Washington, Lincoln, and FDR. Uh, Washington's reputation is built mostly on the fact that he was a general of the Army of the Revolution, and then he became president, though most people accept the fact that he was the first president and he stepped down after two terms and assured that democracy, or at least the republic, would prevail. But here's the thing. Think about those three. Some, some of my students will say, well, they led us through three wars, you know, the three crucial wars, the revolution, the civil war, and World War II. But, and I said, to them, well, that's all true. But what happened in those years? It wasn't just they led us through those, those three wars and we had victories. And not to mention the fact that Roosevelt also led us through a crisis that was even in some ways as serious as any of those wars, and that was the Great Depression. Okay? An so economic it, crisis could be arguably it, worse. Think of, Yeah, think about it this way. The, the way in which Americans have confronted mortal crises, okay? the revolution was about would there be a United States? The Civil War, would we sustain a United States? And in the 30s, with the Great Depression, would there ever would the, would there really be a United States? And in World War II, would the United States survive the onslaught of fascism? And how they do that? Well, they created the makings of a democratic republic in the 1770s and 80s. They brought an end to slavery in the in the 1860s. Not to mention that F that that sorry Abe Lincoln was a proto social democrat. Okay, signed the Land Grant Act and the Homestead Act into being. But and then in the 1930s, how did Americans do it? They supported a president and pushed a president even further than he might have otherwise gone in the direction of social democracy. They subjected capital to public regulation. They empowered working people to organize and create labor unions. They literally transformed the American landscape over and over again in the three most critical moments. In American history, the way in which Americans transcended the crisis was to go radical. If you don't like the word radical, to go progressive. Okay, and that's the how about case. bold. <laughs> Keep it Boldly simple so people no, can no, understand no it. Before, yeah, but it is the case. It is radical. Hell, revolution, the overthrow of slavery in the Civil War it was a second American Revolution, and in the '30s there was a Roosevelt Revolution. Yes. Too much was left undone in each case. 
Yes, exploitation and oppression persisted. Yes, people were still left out. But when those struggles and those moments were led to victory, to transcendence, the fact was we were a far freer, more equal and democratic nation in each of those cases than we were before. So, okay, so it's important. We've got a history, okay, for all of the faults and failings, for all of the sins of omission and commission, for all of the exploitation and oppression, for all of the tragedy, we have a history that is unparalleled in terms of its radical and progressive story. And that is fundamental to making America, America again, as the black poet Langston Hughes put it in one of the greatest poems in American history. Well, and, and so the last thing I want to talk about, and, and this is a little bit... Um, now, now going back to where we started and and finishing this election and looking forward, you know, we had already been talking about how, you know, this economic bill of rights, we have a president uh, right now who has said that if some of these things came across his desk, you know, namely universal health care, he would veto them. And that, you know, a lot of members, progressive members of the party, I mean, including Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Rokana and the Progressive Caucus have all already lined up to say, you know, Biden's going to be the nominee. We're we're riding with Biden again. Um, while you know, he he did show that good faith effort to negotiate with the Bernie team, and he did come up with a shared agenda. You know, he, once he was in office, all of that stuff vanished. It like even the public option, which you know we were talking about, was you know the bare minimum back in two thousand eight. Um, you know, now 15 years later is still something that they won't even discuss. Uh, so, you know, like going forward and, you know, I follow you on Twitter, so I'm, I'm pulling out a thread here. But going forward, what do we see the next steps of the true progressive movement being? Because it isn't it can't be something that is built around a person. And as much as Bernie Sanders is personally an ins- inspiration for me and I love Bernie, Bernie is also very old. Um, you know, there are some qualities of his where he he there are things about him that keep him from winning elections. And this and, you know, the entire purpose of like a of a progressive movement is to have all of this be about not a person, not a personality, but the economic issues. Right. So going forward, what what does that look like in Wisconsin or nationally in our in our upcoming elections here? How do we move? How do we truly move forward and start to create some of this meaningful change, especially when, you know, like young young people become more and more frustrated, as Will was talking about earlier with the Democratic Party, when every time we show up in these historic numbers to deliver these elections, it feels like a lot of the time we don't get the return we we were expecting. In fact, it's the boy who cried wolf. I've found the Democratic Party to kind of be when you come out and say every election cycle, this is the most important race of your life This is the most important race of your life. Please turn out. Please turn out. Then young people turn out and the Democrats win and nothing changes. Eventually, young people are going to say, why am I doing this? Apathy is going to take hold and and they're just going to stop coming out to vote. Well, let me just say this. I'm a good four. I'm a good four. Four decades older than you guys, more. So I've heard it longer than you have. Okay, been there, done that, right, Harvey? But it, it okay, and and 
look, in terms of the state, my greatest hope in the state is a is Christina Shelton in political terms. That's the figure I would love someday to see. I'd like to see her governor of Wisconsin someday. I'll be honest. Okay. And that's not going to happen immediately, but there are young people, I'm sure in your regions too. Look, you guys are Wisconsinites. The trick is that people have to enter the party to win the party. And young people need to be mobilized into the party so that literally they control the party. Voting itself is, is essential, but we all know voting isn't enough. We have to bring real pressure. Mm-hmm. Okay? Let me give you an example of what I mean. If you guys mobilized, well, you've already done it in good part. You mobilized at the county level. You could possibly take over the county bo- the county uh, Democratic parties. Young okay. people could do it. It doesn't take a hell of a lot to do that. Okay? That's, that's one way to reshape it. Okay? Another way to reshape it is is to see that the state right now is is at a, a ter- is a, at a tipping point. We saw it in the election the other night. 2024 is on the horizon. We have got to figure out how to win back as much as we can. And if possible, it may well be that the Supreme Court will allow us to do that. So when you talk to people, say, remind people, this is the tipping point. Okay, this is the moment where we made, you know, FDR once said, how do you put it? Um, You don't want to. Shit, I'm not I'm not remembering it. I'm not remembering. But it had to do with the fact that you don't want to vote for the people who just want to restore the old order. So when people tell you that, you know, you got to vote in order, you know, you got to vote or whatever because of the, the right to choose and all that, that's a fundamental. That's like the starting place. They sh- you should not allow the Democratic Party to 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 limit itself to restoration. Mm-hmm. OK, I mean, actually, I mean, I do have a better quote. There's a, there was a progressive. Actually, he was variably a progressive and a socialist and a populist around 1900. His name was... Um, Henry Demarest Lloyd, and he was out of Chicago. And there's a great line, which I think he derived from Wendell Phillips, the great 19th century progressive radical figure. It goes like this. Defending liberty is more, takes more than simply vigilance. There's an old line, you know, you've got to defend, you know, the best defense of liberty is to be vigilant about liberty. It's that if you want to defend the rights that your fathers, well, let's add in mothers, that your fathers and mothers afforded you, you have got to provide new rights for your children. You've got you to want the quote, rights. Harvey, I got the quote for you right here. Okay. The price of liberty is something more than eternal vigilance. There must right. also be eternal advance. We can save the rights we have inherited from our fathers only by winning new ones to bequeath our children. Thank you. It's in everything Brilliant. I write these days. I hope maybe you were, I, I'd like to believe you were looking. Was that, where'd you find that? Uh, as soon as you said, uh, Henry Lloyd, I, I just Googled it. Okay. <laughs> his, well, his most popular quotes. Okay. Well, I, I can tell you that I've helped make that popular again. I, I When I found that, when I came across that in my work originally on the Thomas Paine book, I just, I exploded okay just that's my line everywhere i can i can use it okay so when especially when i talk to to guys like you 
You know, that's fundamental. That's the vision we have to remember. You don't go back. You don't re simply restore. However imperative the restoration of rights are, you want to sustain rights by creating or advancing, enhancing rights. And it touches on a lot of, you know, yeah. most parents want to create a better world for their children. It, it hits the emotional cues that I think a lot of Americans yeah. in particular recognize, right. like, why would I struggle to get to give my children a better life? Why would I want them to have to struggle in the same way? It, society right. is about advancement. Yeah. And by the way, off too often these days, because of the way conservatives and liberals alike have reduced a better life to the question of just more to eat, more to spend, whatever else. We have to remember that a better life means greater rights. Rights. Okay, last thing I want to say before we close down is, you guys really picked up on it already. I think young people should seriously look at Marianne Williamson's campaign. Okay? That's why I was looking for you to, hey, that's why I was trying to get you to go. That's Well, I, was... I, I, think, I think what people have to say to themselves is, the Democratic Party needs to hear from Marianne Williamson. People should consider that there's a good chance of moving the party to the left in that progressive, at least progressive direction by supporting a candidate like Marianne Williamson. And I, I'll confess that I've been advising her. I don't want to make it out as if I have no direct contact. I'm, I am a an advisor to Mary. I'm I, I, I am not a paid member of the staff. I am an advisor, especially on historical and political questions. But I have been very impressed. If you had asked me a year ago who Marianne Williamson was, I don't think I could have told you. Honestly, I don't think I could have told you. And then she asked me to do a, a podcast with her on FDR, and which led me to read her book, The Politics of Love, a book, believe me, that I would never have bought because I don't buy books with the word love in them, okay? Titled love. <laughs> Not since Eric Fromm, the, the Art of Loving or whatever the hell that book was back in the 60s, okay? I just don't. It's a bit too sweet for my liking. And I rarely use the word spiritual, believe me, rarely. But she has a real sense of what America is supposed to be about. And when we talked, she had a firm grasp over the vision of FDR. And I've gotten, I'm really, really convinced. I mean, I was there when she launched in Washington. I'm in regular contact with her. I think her campaign is the campaign that young people should pay attention to. And I understand that I'm not on TikTok. I mean, I'm not active there, though yesterday I, at the suggestion of Crystal Ball, I downloaded a TikTok app just to check out what was going on. And Crystal said, Marianne's exploding on TikTok. So there you go. That's what my girlfriend said. I don't have TikTok, but my girlfriend has said that Marianne right now is really capturing the attention of young people on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. So Can you imagine if Bernie had TikTok, if that if that had blown up, you know, in 2015, 2016. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it that way. That's it's entertaining to think of because of the the way in which they could have cut, his, you know, taken his lines and just turned them into remarkable performances. The billionaires, the billionaires, the billionaires. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he did so but well wanna, with young people. Tell you but I do want to tell you something. Look, I voted for Bernie. I've liked Bernie ever since the 1980s. I used to say in the 80s. God, if I could someday get to vote for a guy like Bernie Sanders, and I did in the Wisconsin primaries back in 2016. But here's the thing to, yeah, 2016. But, and here's the, but here's the interesting thing. I'm going to make a point. I actually think that Marianne has a firmer sense of the American story that she articulates than Bernie has articulated. I mean that. I mean that. Listen to it. If you haven't read her an announcement speech, 
read it. Okay, she's rooting the, the, the crisis we face and the possibilities of addressing it in terms of the movements that have prevailed, emerged and ultimately prevailed in the American story, whether it had to do with suffrage, um, bringing into slavery, civil rights, labor. I, she just has a really good, remarkable sense. And, and we have great discussions, she and I, about the, the significance of it. So anyhow, I... I right now I'm lined up with Marianne Williamson in hopes of moving the Democratic Party to the left. I do. I would not support a third party effort. I'll be clear about it. Only time I voted third party was in 1980 for Barry Commoner. I have no regrets in doing it, but I also do not intend to waste my votes again. A hundred percent. Well said. Uh, and I and I think that you you said it very well that Marianne and I think the reparations issue is a great example of how she has a really good idea of like the systemic injustice of that has characterized America better than a lot of people that have run. I mean, she's able to articulate, you know, the, the issue of reparations. I mean, in some ways her plan is, is better than the plan that's been sitting in the house for God knows how long. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it, I, I can tell you that I don't see. I, I actually, I, I definitely appreciate how people want to see the reparations possibilities, you know, enacted. I, I don't see that as I say that as a moral ideal. I don't see that as a winning ideal right now. I just, I, I, I just, would, I would agree with you, but I think also, even though it's, I mean, it's obviously not going to be like the top 10, 15 issues that she runs on, but I think. That is like a litmus of something that, you know, she is not I, she is not a typical politician in the sense that she can understand that issue. Yeah, well, I, no, well she's good. She, I mean, and, and we she and I argued about this over dinner one time and she makes a better argument about it than I do. Mine's strictly whether or not we can win elections on that right now. 100%. Which is not a moral. Which probably position, you can't. Okay? I agree with you. But but I can tell you, in our economic bill of rights, when Alan and I come back to you, we have a proposal in line with the proposal of Derek Hamilton and other other and and a host of other other folks that we think is a way of transcending and beginning to move in that direction. Which goes, by the way, all the way back to Thomas Paine, my hero. Okay, and I'll leave you with this: Thomas Paine is the visionary. He is the godfather of the social security programs around the world. He wrote a pamphlet in 18, sorry, 1796 titled The Agrarian Justice. He heard, he heard some minister in London uh, made a, you know, gave a talk and said, the poor will always be with us, quoting Jesus, supposedly. And Paine was outraged at the idea that people would think that God would have created a world in which poverty would always exist. And he said, poverty is created by civilization, the word he used in the 1790s for capitalism. And he said, what we need is this. If God created the world for all of us to enjoy and to benefit from, then that means those who are monopolizing the land, remember we're talking 18th century, those who are monopolizing the land owe us money. They owe us a payment, a rent, a tax. And that tax should create a national fund and out of the national fund, we can then begin to allow people over the age, I forget the age you use, let's say 55, to not have to work. Give them pensions. All old, and by the way, this was men and women, he said. And we have to prevent poverty to begin with. How do we do that? We give every young person 
boy or girl, when they reach the age of maturity, a grant of money to start them out for education, for land, or for a business, or whatever. So we've included in our Economic Bill of Rights the idea that every young person should be afforded a material endowment at birth, okay? Which will then grow, because it'll be in the bank, it'll grow with interest, which will then afford them on reaching maturity, opportunity. The opportunity to take the risk that Right. You know, yeah. the average American doesn't have the opportunity to do. Right. So, again, I'm, it's not reparations as an ideal that I'm, I'm not rushing to right this minute, but it is rather the degree to which we can just say reparations and let's go in an election. So the idea is, what can we do? Plus, I can make other arguments historically about other folks who are truly entitled to some kind of addressing. So... Americans love to talk about a meritocracy, uh, and then you offer a, a potential opportunity like this. Okay, everybody starts from the same, from the same spot. Let's see who's you know if yeah. if the talent really rises to the top, uh, and that's just not really the case. Yep. So yeah, it's great talking to you guys. No, okay. thank you so much for coming on, Harvey. And I guess as a last thing before we um, we let you go, could you just let people know where they can find you online, where they can find your books, all that good stuff? Okay, so I'll start with the fact that I'm I'm years ago some my then publicist for my the books I was doing put me on Facebook and it's there, but I don't look at Facebook. I don't even go. I don't even touch it. Okay, <laughs> which is also why Will, when you sent me some stuff recently, it required me signing into Facebook. I didn't want to sign into Facebook. Okay. But I am very active, more active than I should be, my wife tells me, on Twitter, at Harvey J.K., H-A-R-V-E-Y, initial J-K-A-Y-E. Now, the books, the books, I mean, God forbid I should tell them, they're readily available on Amazon, okay? You want to be able to do this. You can go to, for some of the books, Red Emma's Bookstore in Baltimore Online, Better, you know, if you want a more, you know, general site to go to, it's Barnes and Noble or, or if you send me a note, if any of the books interest you, send me a note on Twitter and I'll direct you to a bookstore that might be near you out. And I can do that out West. I can do that for the East. I'd like to imagine there's someplace in Wisconsin, but you can go on. If you ordered, what's the bookstore in Milwaukee? The, um, just blanked as a, used to be Schwartz's many years ago. They, they, got bought up. They closed and then the employees bought it up. But anyway, you go online to these bookstores, readily available. If people want to hear my arguments about the American radical tradition, Thomas Paine and the promise of America. If people want to hear, if they want to hear about why we need to embrace the American radical tradition, then pick up, take hold of our history. No footnotes. They're speeches and essays. You can read them on the toilet. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. We'll look forward to having you back to have, I think, I agree. Let's spend a whole episode just on Economic Bill of Rights. I think that would be awesome. Um, but thank you again so much for taking the time. Um, I, you know, we finally are in this post-election day, like short period of relief where it's like we're not desperately organizing people to get out and vote. Um, so it's a nice short breath of air. Um, thank and, you spring, and I promise everyone, I'm told spring will come to Wisconsin. Someday. Someday. <laughs> I heard this weekend's supposed to be nice, but thank you again for joining okay. us. 
Uh, Thank you so much for being here, Harvey. Rest of your week. Thank you. So we say, we always say the Black Panther Party that they can do anything they want to us. We might not be back.